It's good to be together. I know coming off of Thanksgiving and, and probably full holiday and stuff, it can be tiring. And we've got a lot of people out sick as well. Um, and man, I was doing some reading last week on there were early on in the history of the church, there were, there were several plagues that hit the Roman Empire. And a guy named Cyprian was a Christian leader at the time and wrote a lot about patience and wrote a lot about the significant nature of, of people who are following Jesus caring for each other and how that was a very unique thing in the Roman Empire. So unique that tens of thousands of people, even hundreds of thousands of people gave their lives to Jesus just seeing how Christians loved each other, treated each other, cared for each other, and not just for each other, but for the whole community. And man, I just think that this is a beautiful season for us to step into that as a church too, for people who are sick, but then just generally a, a great season to care for our community and love our community and for people to be like, hey, what's the angle here? Like, why are you doing this? And that was a huge question in 200 AD, 250 AD that people were asking, like, why are you doing this? And it was always like, because so much has been done for me. Because of all that's been done for me, I, I just, this is overflowing from my life. You know, I'm not doing it to, to try and win some badge or something. I'm, I'm doing these things because of what's been done for me and what, what Jesus is doing for me. And so coming off of Thanksgiving, heading into Advent, heading towards Christmas, um, it was kind of interesting. I'm not that smart to like line up all of these scripture passages. A lot of times it just happens. It's like, oh, wow, uh, I had no idea four months ago when we were thinking about, you know, kind of where we'd be in the book of John, that, that today where we're at in the book of John is kind of like Thanksgiving. It's actually one of the best, I, I think probably one of the most significant Thanksgiving meals in scripture. And, and really kind of Thanksgiving pointing towards Christmas. So I was just like, oh, wow, look how, look how this worked out. And of course, like, there weren't pilgrims at the time of, of the New Testament. There wasn't Thanksgiving as we know it as an American holiday. But there was a crucial meal that people there were just overflowing with Thanksgiving. And man, I feel like what happened that night in Bethany at that meal, Lord willing, will like affect us today here as we gather together, and uh, just kind of reminding you where we've been, is that one of Jesus's buddies, Lazarus, was dead in the tomb for four days. For four days. I mean, like, you can't just be like halfway dead, you know, partially dead. Like, you are, to, for four days to be in the tomb, and Jesus shows up. And four days in the tomb is nothing to the, the person who calls himself life. So when life gets close to death, death trembles. Life doesn't tremble. And so Jesus gets close to Lazarus, calls Lazarus to come out of the grave, and he does. And where we're at today is they have dinner. <laughs> they have dinner afterwards. It's Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, Lazarus is there, alive and well, hungry maybe after not eating for four days, and then Jesus is there. Um, and so we're in John chapter 12, 
We're going to start in verse 1, and we have some Bibles over here. If you don't have your own personal copy of the Word of God, please take one of those. Or maybe you have like a family heirloom type Bible, and you just probably won't like underline and circle things and stuff. Please take one of these and and just kind of make your own. I like to mark in my Bible. I I like to underline things that stand out to me, because then when I come to them next time, um, I'll be like, oh yeah, I remember last time I was here, I was remembering this. Or sometimes I even like date things. Like if God promises something and I'm like, man, I'm not seeing that promise right now. I put a date there to be like, I'm trusting you on this date for that. So, um, so that can be powerful things to do with, uh, with your own personal copy of scripture. But if it'll bless you, we'll have the verses on the screen too. So John 12, starting verse one says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Thanksgiving meal. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment. You could think perfume here. Made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And this is just one of those, like, I'm sure you've had this where you're just like, man, that was just a good night. We had just people we love, good food, the sights, the smells, like that was a good night. And this was a good night. Jesus had returned to Bethany So he had been in Jerusalem. Bethany is just a suburb of Jerusalem. Jesus has returned to Bethany to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' home. Lazarus is alive and well. So everybody in the community knows, like, hey, remember how we all spent four days mourning for, you know, he lives in that house. Like, he's alive. So he's, Lazarus is alive and well. And, uh, you know, for four days, death was standing in the way of Lazarus. And uh, Jesus, Jesus saw, saw no trouble. Um, death couldn't stand in the way of Jesus. Jesus spoke Lazarus' life into being. Uh, he did that once when he created Lazarus, and he can do it again to bring him back. And, uh, and then there is a death warrant on Jesus. So Jesus confidently goes to Lazarus' house with a death warrant issued by the chief priest, um, which is insane, and, uh, and they sit down and have a meal together. We know some of his disciples are there, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Jesus, and man, I would have loved to have been there. I would have loved to have been in that home that night. I mean, what was the conversation like? You know, was, were people asking like, Lazarus, what was it like for those four days? You know, tell, tell me what's going on. You know, uh, Lazarus might have been like, Jesus, how did you do that? Like, how did you, what else can you do? You know, like, I mean, there could have been really amazing conversation happening at that dinner. Or maybe they were just talking about the bread. You know, maybe they're just like, this bread is delicious. You know, you just... Uh, maybe it was all the above, you know. But one of the things that we see in this passage, we see it in other places in Scripture too, is if you notice, the people are relaxed. 
they're relaxed around Jesus. And man, I think we sometimes formulate this idea of Jesus that if you were going to have like dinner with him, you would be like, oh my gosh, I'm having dinner with Jesus. Oh, I better not say anything wrong. I better not do this. I probably put my foot in my mouth here. And then he's probably not going to like this. And, and then you would know, think like, oh, the king of the world is coming over for dinner. I'm going to be freaked out. And what you see in scripture are people are completely relaxed having dinner with Jesus. And uh, I love that it says that Martha is serving. You know, she's, she's kind of given a hard time in another situation where she was frantically serving. But I think here she's just like, it's, it's her love language. And she's, she's, she's loving her brother and loving her, her, her savior. And uh, as they're having this meal together, Mary steps into the moment in a very intimate way, appropriately an intimate way. Uh, she, she has this moment with her Savior. And uh, I think one of the beautiful things is Jesus is not the type of Savior that likes to be at an arm's distance. You know, he's not the type of Savior that's like, whoa, 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 you know, I've got a lot of people in my life. You're too close. Step back. Mary gets very close to him and, uh, and he is intimately involved in this moment. He is intimately involved in our lives. And Mary actually anoints the feet of Jesus and wipes his feet with her hair. It, I mean, could make people feel uncomfortable in the room if you were just like, oh my gosh. But in a way that you might be like, oh my gosh, do I love Jesus like this? Am I close to this? And the, the way I thought about her wiping Jesus' feet with her hair is, is kind of like the love that a mom has when their kid like just has snot running all over the place and the mom's like, use my sleeve, you know? And you're just like, even if it's kind of a nice sleeve, you know, but it's just kind of like, hey, use my sleeve. You know, there's a love there that is an appropriately intimate love, um, and it's kind of a, it makes sense too, because people at that time didn't wear like socks and closed shoes. Uh, they mainly wore like sandals. And so, so most people at that time wore sandals. Uh, then in addition to that is that most of the streets, so the, if, you know, the Roman empire, the cobblestone type roads were very common. I mean, it was one of the things that allowed uh, the, the word of God to really spread across, across the world so rapidly was the Roman road system had been established by this time. Uh, but even if you're in, in the city or going from like Jerusalem to Bethany, you would have been on gravel. So you're walking on gravel roads, your feet would get really dirty, and, and just like you would do washing your hands, you know, if you were out, out working all day, you would wash your hands before you ate. They would wash their feet before they ate as well as a way to, to not be at the table with just kind of like dusty, dirty, dirty feet. And so um, and then also they're, they're kind of sitting at the table in a unique way. If you said it said like reclined at table, it's like, what does that mean, reclined? Are they laying on top of the table? Like, what, what does that look like to recline at the table? So I was actually in Amman, Jordan, like 17 years ago, and was at a restaurant where they had, like, the, the modern way that you could eat 
but then they had an area where you could recline at table and eat. So I took a picture of what that looked like. So, so you could see, and this is just east of Jerusalem. Uh, Jordan is the country straight east of, of uh, Israel. And so you see, like, there's all these pillows, and it's kind of like couches all the way around the table. And you'd actually, like, lay lay down kind of as you were eating. So me and a buddy actually laid down just for reference. So um, so that's us like reclining at table like we'd eat there. And I was dressed like I was going to be in the desert all day. We actually went to Petra after this where all the Indiana Jones stuff uh, was filmed. But you could see see how our feet are like kind of prominent, right? So if you're laying with a group of people around a table like that, the feet are like right there too. So, so you, it kind of makes sense that you'd want to have clean feet if you're reclining at table. So, so Mary takes this expensive perfume and she uses it to wash Jesus' feet. She uses her hair to wipe his feet and the house is filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It, sound, it smells amazing. It's an amazing moment. And Mary is obviously so thankful that her brother is alive. Like this is, this is a Thanksgiving moment, you know, where she is showing, like she's not just doing this because it's like what she's supposed to, she's doing this because of how grateful she is that her brother is alive and is in the room and how grateful that her Savior is is alive and is in the room. And this is a moment that will never happen again. Like this is a moment where Jesus is in her house. Her brother is in in the house. They're alive and well. And this is the meal to celebrate what has happened. She knows her brother. She knows her savior. He has just saved her brother and she knows that he will save her too, that he is the resurrection and the life, that he will save us all who respond to him and place our lives in his hands. And uh, we're going to learn more about the details of this, but what takes all of this up a level, like it's already an incredible evening, it's already an incredible moment, but what takes this at an entirely different level is the value of the perfume that she put on Jesus' feet. The value of that perfume is like, oh my gosh. So in today's, in today's value, she put $50,000 worth of perfume on Jesus' feet. $50,000 worth of perfume on Jesus' feet. It's gone. So it makes you wonder like, why did people have $50,000 worth of perfume in their house? Like, did Mary know that Jesus was coming and was like, hey, I'm going to go to the store real quick and buy something, and she just purchases $50,000 of perfume? No, like, the, the time I spent this week, like, researching this, and, and why would someone like this have this much perfume in their house, is that the most likely explanation is that this was her life savings, and was potentially the life savings of all three of them. Because Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived together, were brother and sister. There's a likelihood maybe they had combined all of their money, and that this is their life savings. And in, so a production of perfume uh, didn't happen in Israel. 
So perfume was imported from other places in the Roman Empire. Okay, so first of all, perfume is imported. And then also it kept its value. So people actually, instead of like 401ks and stuff like that, people bought perfume because it, it, it lasted a really long time. It kept its value. It could be resold. It could be added to. And it didn't take very much place in your home to store it. So you didn't have to have like a whole room in your house that was like your vault. Uh, you could just have a little shelf where you kept your life savings in perfume in a jar. So to celebrate her brother being raised from the dead by her Savior, in this moment, and maybe Mary and Martha and Lazarus had already discussed it, but in this moment, she takes her life savings and she, she lays it at the feet of Jesus, truly. She takes her life savings and washes Jesus' feet, anoints his feet with this. She's all in with this night. She is all in loving her brother, loving her Savior, and she is uh, just in this moment pouring it on the feet of Jesus out of love to him to celebrate the best day of their lives with the best people in their lives. And it's truly a remarkable moment, and Jesus loves it. He, he's engaged in the moment. He is receiving her love. He's receiving her worship. And not everyone in the room is doing that same thing. Look at verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, verse 5, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, this is his defense of her in that moment, who's probably starting to, like she's, get, she's getting shamed. Judas is shaming her in one sense, like, you know, if, if Jesus was right, or if Judas was right, and Jesus was like, man, you're so right, she would have felt shame, and she would have been like, I just wasted $50,000. I just poured all this, you know, and kind of crawled out of the room and just felt terrible. And I love that Jesus instantly comes to her defense and he says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Judas looks at this moment and what he sees is the dollar value of the perfume that's being poured on Jesus' feet. Now, he doesn't appreciate the moment that they're celebrating, but he also is not telling the truth. And we're told here, like, like he, he's saying, hey, we should have sold this. We could have used the $50,000 for so much. We could have given that to the poor. Uh, but, but we're told that he was taking money out of this collective money bag that everybody, all the disciples were using. And so when he sees $50,000 worth of stuff being poured on Jesus' feet, he's seeing the lost money that he could have put in his pocket. Totally different place that he's at than where Mary is. Mary is giving everything she has to Jesus. And Judas is looking like, man, I could have skimmed a lot of that off the top and put it in my pocket. 
Judas was in charge of the money bag. And uh, the disciples must have figured this out later that, uh, that this is what Jesus, Judas was doing because there's no, if they would have known this is what Judas was doing, they probably would not let him have the money bag anymore. Uh, but they found this out later. And Jesus responds just so clearly in this moment that there will be no shaming of Mary for her behavior. Leave her alone. Jesus says that this is even preparing me for burial. Like Jesus knows what's coming and he knows that, that this scent will be on him even as he goes into the grave. And um, Jesus then says, the poor you'll always have with you, but you don't always have me. And Jesus isn't saying this to speak down on the poor. He's definitely not like saying he doesn't care about the poor. We have such obvious evidence that he does, but he is emphasizing the reality that you have the opportunity to be face-to-face with your Savior you have the opportunity to be face-to-face with the king of the world, and it's good for you to take advantage of that moment. And Mary, in that moment, met Jesus with all that she was and all that she had. And man, that's like the best way, that, that's been one of my prayers this week for us, for our community, is meeting Jesus with all that we have and all that we are. I mean, Mary encapsulates this so beautifully, is like, hey, the best thing I could ever give to Jesus out of a thankful heart is me and all that I am and, and all that I have, laying it at his feet. He's worthy of all we are. He's worthy of all that we have. And I think a good question is like, can you say that? Like, can you say, hey, he's worthy of all that I am He's worthy of all that I have. And you might say, I don't have much. Well, he even lets us know that, um, that what he sees, like when he saw the lady, he just put in two pennies because that's all that she had. Jesus was like, she gave more than any of you guys gave because of what she had. And this isn't my, like we aren't starting a building campaign and now I'm going to like try and get you to give all the money you have. Like that's not what this is about. What this is about is our hearts. And Mary's heart that was like, Jesus, when I look at you and I look at my brother, all that I have is yours. And Judas, when he looked at Lazarus and he looked at Jesus and then he saw the money, he was like, man, I could maybe have some of that. Just misses what's going on in the room, misses what's happening. And Mary is not missing what's happening. And man, I would just say like, our heart should not be like to say, well, I want that to be true of me, but it's not true of me, so let's all just leave in shame. And let's all just leave feeling bad about ourselves. No, that's not, that, that's not the Lord's design for us. The Lord's design for us is like, do you desire that? Do you desire that to be true of your heart? Do you desire that to be true of your lives? Let's come to him and let's say, Lord, I desire for that to be true of me. I want that to be true of my life. Would you do that in me? Would you have this be my story? Would you move in my heart and my life in a way that I don't go the default of our culture and look like Judas and just be in it for myself and kind of make a side hustle of following Jesus? But instead, do I actually follow Jesus with all that I am and find my life in that? And it's like, man, if that's the desire of your heart, like, let's give him the desires of our heart and say, this is what I want, Lord. Would you do this in my life? And if it's not the desire of your heart, what I'd say is make that your prayer, saying, Lord, that's not the desire of my heart. My heart is broken. And I know it should be the desire of my heart. It's not. 
My heart is broken. Would you heal my heart? Would you, would you fix my desires? Would you make my desires be what they should be, which is desiring you, which will bring me life and bring you glory? Now, verse 9 of how they, they go from here. Verse 9, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only out of account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. I mean, you couldn't miss this moment, right? If you hear, hey, Lazarus and Jesus are having dinner together in that house, it would be hard to be like, I'm fine, I'm going to stay home tonight. I mean, everybody in Bethany, I think, is like, we got to go see this. We got to see what's going to happen here. So, so they come, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only out of account of him, Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Verse 10. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. I mean, how many times does this guy have to die, right? I mean, if I was Lazarus, I'd be like, give me a break. Jesus just brought me back to life, and now you're trying to kill me, like, within a week. So word gets out fast what Jesus has done. Having Lazarus and Jesus in the same room is draining so much curiosity. And as a crowd continues to form around Jesus, as a crowd continues to form around Lazarus, the chief priest does the inconceivable. Realize the role of a priest at this time in biblical history and this time of the way that the Lord was using the law to be this guardian protecting us until Christ came, guiding us until Christ came. The role of a priest is to, to be a bridge between the people and God. And the people would come to the priest and the priest would, would intercede for them. The priest would teach them. The priest would do many things that were designed to, to be a bridge between God and us. Now, now we, we see that what Jesus has done, we learn in the book of Hebrews, is that he is this priest that offers a once-for-all sacrifice he is our high priest, which means there's no longer any need for a priest because Jesus has truly been the bridge between us and God and there doesn't need to be any more bridge building going on. He is the ultimate bridge between us and God. And so this chief priest whose role was to serve people to God, the role of the chief priest was to serve people to God. Now what he's doing is trying to burn down any bridge that would actually get people to Jesus. And realizing what he is doing is totally against anything that he should be doing. Such an offense to the God that he claims to be serving. And he's not just burning down those bridges, but he's, he's burning down anyone that's standing on that bridge, which would be Lazarus. So first he determined to kill Jesus once Lazarus comes back to life. And now he's determining to kill Lazarus, whose very life is this bright arrow that's pointing people to the power of Jesus. And many people, though, this night, which is awesome, as we even learn here, many people on this night are leaving, believing in Jesus. They're, they're seeing the power of Jesus. They're seeing what Jesus is doing. And many people that night are leaving believing in Jesus. And man, I just, as, as we kind of wrap up this section, is, is a great question just for each of us is, where am I at 
right now? Where, where am I at today? Uh, will I go from this place believing in Jesus? Like, where do I find myself in this story? Um, so, so, like, for, for one of you, like, maybe in this story, you're Lazarus right now. Maybe if you're like, hey, when I look at every character in this story, the character that I most relate to is Lazarus. I feel like I'm dead. I feel like I've been dead in a tomb for four days, spiritually, physically, financially. Uh, I don't know what it, your hope might feel like it's been dead in the tomb for four days. And maybe where you're at today is like, or maybe you're like, Thanksgiving felt more like a tomb to me than like a, a beautiful celebration or whatever. And where you find yourself in the story is like, Lord, I feel like Lazarus, would you bring life to me? Would you, would you bring life to, to me? I, I need you to make me alive. I, I need you to, to work your life-giving power in my life. Would you do that today? Uh, maybe you're, you're in this room and you're like the crowd that you are like, man, I've been hearing about what Jesus has been doing. I've been hearing about what Lazarus, what happened to Lazarus. And I've been hearing about these things. And now, like, I'm ready to believe. I'm ready to give my life to you, Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm believing in you today. Um, maybe you're like the chief priest. Maybe you find yourself today and you're like, you know what? If we could just get Jesus out of my vocabulary, if I could get Jesus out of my life, my life would be better. And, and I've had chief priest moments when I felt like the Lord was clearly pursuing me. I knew he was real, and I'd just rather him let, let me alone and let me just live the way I thought was going to make me happy. Um, but man, I would just, for if you find yourself resembling the chief priest more than anybody else in the story, I would just invite you to turn. To, to turn from that being your story to turning to Jesus. The Apostle Paul was following the chief priest more than anybody. He was on a road to kill Christians, literally, and the Lord stopped him and turned him around. And would you let the Lord stop you and turn you around and find your life in him today? And um, man, maybe you're ready to be like Mary today. Maybe you're ready to say, you know, I want to give everything to you, Jesus. Maybe you could say, I, I've been living that way the last 30 years, and I want to continue living that way for, for the next 20 years or 30 years. Like, I, I want to be like Mary. I want people to, when they see me, it almost is embarrassing, or they almost have to look away because of how much I'm giving Jesus everything in my life and how intimately connected I am to him. And realizing that Jesus, that if you have Jesus, you have everything. That's what Mary knew, is if you have Jesus, you have everything. And man, would we, would we live that way, that if we have Jesus, we have everything? Can I pray for us along those lines? Um, Lord, I thank you for this incredible moment in Bethany. I thank you for Mary's love that she showed to you. I thank you that Lazarus had gone through so much, and he was there. And Lord, some of us could say, like, if people knew the whole story, they would marvel just as much that we're in the room right here, as much as they marveled that Lazarus was brought back from the dead and was in that room with you, and that we're in this room with you right now. And Lord, if uh, any in the room feel like they're the chief priests, would they turn? Would they find their life in you? If any in the room maybe feel like they're Judas, 
And they've just been benefiting personally from people around them that are following Jesus without actually themselves giving their lives to you. Lord, would they give their lives to you today? Just for all of us, we do desire that our life would reflect the life of Mary, that we'd learn from her today. That um, she would not, as she did not hold back from you, from worshiping you, from giving you everything, would we not hold back from worshiping you, giving you everything? So Lord, uh, do what you need to do in us. We say, here we are. Let this be let this be the moment that, that you grow us, the moment that you disciple us, the moment that you transform us. Change us to look more like you. Change us to reflect the heart that Mary had. We give all this to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we have Norm and Carmi serving us communion this morning. If you all want to come up here. And communion is Jesus' idea. It's his design for us to commune with him. Once again, like we should never leave here with shame. What we should do is meet with Jesus, giving it all to him, finding we're doing that because he has given everything to us in his life for us. And uh, communion is an incredible, tangible way for us to smell, taste, see the goodness of our God. And so the way that Norman Carmi will have these gloves on, they'll tear a piece of the bread and put it in your hand. If you want, just walk up like this, and they'll say, this is the body of Jesus given for you. And then you can take wine or juice, obey your conscience there. And the way that we'll do is we'll come, we'll take the elements, and then if you come down the center aisle here, and then we'll go back to our seats, we'll remain standing, and we'll take it together as family. For all of us, this is a, a beautiful time to actually meet with the Lord, commune with him, spend time at his feet before we come. If you're not a follower of Jesus at this time, what I would encourage you to do is, instead of coming to communion, would you come to him? If you want to talk to, that, talk to me about that, I'd love to talk to you about that more. But for us all, let's take some moments of uh, meeting with him, and then let's come to him through communion.